Thank you for listening to this podcast episode from Bose Church. We pray this message blesses and encourages you. If you don't belong to a local church, we would love to see you on Sunday morning. Well, good morning, church. Apparently, there's something going on in the football world today at like three o'clock. Is anyone aware of what's happening? I mean, I see some Honolulu blue out here today. So uh, yeah, give it up for our Lions uh, who are hosting another playoff game here in Detroit. Uh, Last week, Ford Field recorded the fourth loudest decibel in NFL history. Like, that just tells you the excitement that's going on right here in Michigan, right? For our, for our team. You know, I mean, for me, in my lifetime, this is the first time. You know, 30-some years, right? I mean, I'm 29. This is the first time I'm getting to watch our Lions host playoff games. And so that's ex- exciting. Now, what if I told you that going to Ford Field would be electrifying? What if I told you that there's nothing like a Lions playoff game? which I've never been. (laughs) You would never truly fully grab the beauty of those sentiments without actually personally have experienced it for yourself. I have been to a Ford Field, but I've never been there for a Lions game, uh, or for, I've been there for a Lions game, never for a playoff Lions game. You know, it's it's awesome. It's it's really cool. It's something that you got to see to really understand how amazing it is. But, um, let, let me now give you a little bit of an illustration for non-sports fans, because not everyone likes the Lions. We can pray for those people. Um, if you don't like sports, I'm going to trust that you like Costco. And if you don't like Costco, I can't help you. Um, but something people love about Costco, besides generally everything, um, is the samples, People love going on a Saturday and, you know, super sample Saturday, you know, like they just go around and they feed on the samples. Well, guess what? Costco loves giving you those samples. You know why Costco loves giving you those samples? Because Costco has the belief that if you can just taste the amazing, delicious sample, then you will go all in and buy the product. Right, they, they, the Costco's mindset, if we can get them to taste it and experience it, they'll buy it. But they have to experience it first. Now, what if I said Jesus? What if I said, hey, Jesus is worth giving your life to, that Jesus is life, that the entirety of your existence, Jesus is worthy of? It's the same. It's the same. You will not know that Jesus is all until Jesus becomes your all, until you see and experience him for all that he is, you will not fully understand his beauty. Jesus must become the center of our lives from like every facet. Jesus must be our focus. It's Jesus that we need to experience in our marriage and in, in, in our parenting and our work. And, and depending on where you are in life, maybe you hear those words marriage and you hear parenting and you hear work and maybe you, you shudder at the demands that those bring. 
But maybe for some of you, depending on where you're at in life, you aspire for those things, right? Like you might be desperately desiring marriage. You might be deeply desiring children or a specific career, depending on where you're at. These are undoubtedly some of the greatest gifts and also the greatest of challenges that we experience this side of eternity. These are some of the greatest relationships. And, and you know, from the earliest of ages, you dream about what your career could be. You know, there, there's something to be said about loving what you do. Um, and yet scripture would indicate that these are the areas of our life where we get to reflect that this is what we believe. That these are the domains, these are the places that reflect what it is we believe about God ourselves, our faith, and we display that to the world around us. And that's interesting. Like nothing displays your faith to the world around you more than the way you treat the people closest to you. Nothing displays your faith more than the way you treat the closest people to you, how you love your spouse, how you raise your kids, the kind of boss or employee or coworker that you are. I mean, these are reflections of what it is that you believe. And, and so those are the arenas where we display faith more than how nice your house is, more than how much money you have in the bank, more, more than how many Bible studies you've been to, more, more than, uh, you know, the Pure Flix movies that you've watched, how you interact in these areas of your life reflect what it is that you believe, what it is that you're trusting in. And so our passage this morning is going to show us that Jesus is truly all supreme, all sufficient. And because of that reality, if Jesus really is supreme and sufficient, then you will find him in the areas of your life that are most important. I, I think it could be really easy to think, okay, what Paul's doing here is he's giving us instructions for marriage and, and parenting and work. And, and yes, while that's true, while he does give some of that instructions, I think the, what you need to see and why this fits where it does is that he's teaching you Jesus as sufficient in all of life. In all of life, he's gonna teach you that Jesus is sufficient, that Jesus is the goal. Um, and Paul's going to say, hey, I, I know the culture is going to teach you a lot of different things about goals. They're going to tell you what's really important. And, but this is it. It's Jesus. That if your life does not look like Jesus, then you miss the goal. Then you miss the, the opportunity, what, what, what this was all really about. And, and today we live in a world where we're faced with and tempted with the same lies. I mean, these have echoed throughout millennia and the same temptations for us in our lives is really to say, hey, there's something beyond Jesus for me to get. There's something beyond Jesus for me to experience. And, and so we will look at our marriages as beyond, there's something beyond demonstrating Jesus in our marriage. There's gonna be something beyond demonstrating Jesus in our, in our home. There's gonna be something beyond Jesus to demonstrate in our work from every angle the world's gonna tempt you to believe that there's something more. So don't, don't we feel these cultural pressures? As last week, Paul began challenging the church. He, he says, okay, hey, set your minds on things that are above. But before he says that, he says, since you have been raised with Christ, 
since you have get, been given this new life in Jesus, well, then, then, then focus on the things that are above where Christ is seated. Paul, Paul's telling you that your focus matters. That our focus matters, that if we will see Jesus supreme, if we will experience him as sufficient, then our focus needs to be on him, that we really need to experience him in this life. Your life will reflect your focus. Your life will reflect your focus. Like, is it Jesus? Is Jesus your focus? Is it something else? Is your focus on religious sea kind of things? Is it on things that are here below? I mean, I mean, that's the temptation that we often find ourselves in, right? Uh, not on focus on things that are above, but focus on things that are below, the things that we can touch and feel and can try and control, right? It's so easy to get consumed in, in the rat race. It's so easy to get consumed in, in what other people might think about you, right? This is, this is um, from the book Creature of the Word, and this is the, uh, a quote. Your approval before God is woven into the life and sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, not what other men and women think about you. Like, what if that was take it to the bank truth for you? Like, like what, what if your life understood that reality? That your acceptance before God was woven into what Jesus did for you on the cross and not on what other men and women think about you? I mean, how kind of li- what, what kind of liberation would you feel I mean, who wants to be freed of the opinions of other people? Like eight people and liars. <laughs> what if we invited people over to our homes and we didn't necessarily care what it is they thought about it? And that's not a license to live like a slob. I'm just saying, you know, we, we get so consumed with, oh, what do they think about our house? Or what do they think about the meal that we're serving? What do they think about our bathroom displays? Uh, not saying, again, this is, not that those things aren't, uh, have any kind of value, but are we going to get debilitated by what people think about these things? And what if my acceptance before God was given to me in Jesus? And Paul's already laid that out for the church at Colossae. He's already demonstrated the gospel message that, that Jesus has done for them what they couldn't do, that, that Jesus is the one who brought you back to the Father, that it's only because of Jesus. He, he taught on the supremacy that Jesus was the only one capable and then he was on the sufficiency that you need nothing more than Jesus. And so he's invited us to follow Jesus. He's invited us to make Jesus our focus. And so Paul says, if your focus is on the things that are above, then this is how that reflects into your life in every area of life. He's like, do, do you see the higher calling? Do, do you see your marriage as more than just a, a relationship that's for enjoyment for the world to see? No, it's something bigger. There's a higher calling to it. Or, or how you parent and work, you know, it's bigger. There's a higher purpose. Paul wants these believers to saturate their lives in the beauty of Jesus. He wants them to experience the beauty of living in obedience to Jesus. He's like, man, if you could just experience it, if you could just experience the life that's within the will of God, you're going you're gonna to enjoy it. I mean, that's, that's a mission. I, I've heard it said this way, find the things that stir your affections for Jesus and saturate your life in them and find the things that rob you of that affection and walk away from them. As disciples, we have been called to live our lives modeled after Jesus. 
I mean, that's what a disciple is. A disciple comes under someone, uh, uh, and in this context, a, a Jewish rabbi, right? You would have come under a Jewish rabbi and, and for three years would have trained you, instructed you in a way that would have made you like him. Mannerisms, things you say, how you act, how you live, all, all of that would have been shaped. And so what, it is, what, it, what is that you and I, what is that we are being shaped by? Because we are all inevitably becoming something. We're all, our, our lives are becoming something. And, and, and for us as Christians, we've been given this promise that you will experience the fullness of life when your life is shaped and molded to the person of Christ. And so, um, not, now, I don't have a lot of a lot. I, I am not rich, I'm not the highest tax bracket, and that's okay. Um, but if I took everything that I had and I pushed all the chips in, um, it would be that if you would just taste Jesus, if you could just taste Jesus, then you would go all in. If you could truly understand, if you could just get a, 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 a small fraction of who he is, then you would go all in. Uh, that, that, like, that's my life, Costco's mission. That's the sample I'm trying to give you from my life. Is that if you could just see Jesus, if you could just experience him, then my belief that you would see then that he's worthy of it all. And so we're going to pick up in our text, Colossians 3, 18 through 21. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents because this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Didn't we just read this in Ephesians? Like we just finished that series and in, you know, Paul gave a, here's theology, here's application. And so he's like, in light of what the gospel's done for you, this is how you're supposed to live. And so that kind of made sense where that fit. Um, but here he, he's like identically giving the same language. I mean, he goes and gives the same kinds of instructions, you know. And, and so while Paul says the same thing to the church at Ephesus and to the church at Colossae, that, that's telling us something. That, that, that's telling us something that, hey, that, this is something that Paul believes that, that, that's profound. He says, the Apostle Paul believed that a disciple of Jesus would begin seeing how Jesus instructs us, teaches us about all of life. I'm reading this book right now called Practicing the Way, and the author, John Mark Comer, in there shares how we are living within an interesting Christian context. That we're living within an interesting Christian context because we live in a world where people get to say, I am a Christian, with their words. I am a Christian. I raise my hand when, when, when given an uh, uh, info card on me and it says, your religious views, you know, I don't hit other, I hit Christian. Right? And so we tag that, you know, so many of us people in our culture. America um, is something like 63% of people claim to be a Christian. Comer referenced other studies that it's something like 4% actually believe that it's important to follow the teachings of Jesus. 63%, I'm a Christian. 4%, yeah, my life needs to look like that. That's a little bit scary, isn't it? 
It's such a crazy thought because the word Christian, what it literally means is little Christ's. Well, like that's how that, that's what that word means. It means that we look like him, that we act like him. The, the word that we would use is that we are disciples, right? We are disciples of Jesus. And, and here's some disciple is a noun. Disciple is a noun. It's not as much about what it is that we do. It's more about who it is we are. We are disciples of Jesus, and that, dis, that informs it, what we do, but it's who we are. And so here's the irony. We get to say, hey, this is who I am, all the while feeling as though there's no relevance to actually being what we are. Do, do you see the irony there? Like that, That's kind of a, a crazy idea. It's weird. And we live in a world of confused identities. And, and, and unfortunately, I think the word Christian is probably up amongst the most confused of identities. Where we get to say, this is who I am, but what we actually are is something different. And so um, Paul writes to Ephesus and here in Colossians about the importance of, being, uh, of Christ being seen in the biggest stages of your life, in the most intimate relationships. He says Jesus needs to be seen. Um, like, like, does your marriage resemble Christ? Does, uh, does your home resemble Christ? And, and, and Paul writes, wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to those who belong to the Lord. And um, I love that part, as fitting to those who belong to the Lord. Like, do we ultimately realize that our belonging is to Jesus himself? that our belonging is to Jesus himself. One of the things I've tried to get into a habit of when, when talking with Karen, whether it be through a worry or a fear or a doubt, I've just kind of said, hey, I've got you and God's got us. And how, the, 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 what I'm saying when I say that is like, hey, God's calling my, you know, God has called us together. He has given me to you. And the call in my life is that I would lay down my life for my bride. Like the boy goes down, so the girl goes free. Like that's God's good, right design. And so yes, I am there for my wife. I'm ready to lay down my life for my wife. And yet ultimately, God's got us. We belong to God. Our, our security comes from him. And so we see that, that we've been given together ultimately for a purpose, and that purpose is serving Jesus. Because that's where our allegiance lies. That's who we belong to. And so um, when wives submit, respect, honor their husbands, they do so trusting that God has brought the husband to her as a means of grace. And there will be days where that call feels impossible. There will be days where that call feels impossible. Guys, the language Paul hears is, uses here is to love your wives and never treat her harshly. The, the word he uses in Ephesians is to lay down your life for your bride, to live in a way that puts her first. Like, that will be hard. There will be days where every... Uh, uh, where... Where every impulse, where every selfish impulse is going to tug on that. To not put her first, that, that your wife really should exist to serve me, right? Because you know how hard I work? 
you know, you know how you know, much pressure's under me, right? That, that can be so tempting in days where it's hard to say, no, no, um, God has called me to be in love sacrificially. And so what are we to do when these commands that are weighty, that seem impossible, come? Because they will. The reality is to live out these, to live these principles out perfectly is going to be impossible. Um, but if you were to commit to this, if you were to commit your marriage to this end, if you, were, if you were to commit to have your marriage reflect Jesus in this way, and I'm not saying that it would be easy. If it was easy, it wouldn't be rare. But if you would commit your marriage in this way, Christ would teach you his sufficiency and you would experience the joy that comes from living in obedience to Jesus. Like that's like, this is, this is like the really, really hard commands of Jesus for marriage that seemingly feel impossible. I think there's going to be a real temptation, a strong temptation to say, well, because I can't do it, because it's impossible, let's just throw it out altogether. Let's just throw it all out together. And I think um, the church at Colossae could have easily fallen into that temptation, especially when the culture, everything around them is saying that, that Jesus himself isn't sufficient. That, okay, well, because I could never actually do this perfectly, let, let, let's start embracing ideologies and philosophies that, that are worldly, that, that aren't reflection, reflections of the marriage of Christ and the church. And in the end, those ideologies and philosophies will lead you to a lesser reality. Right? We need to see that the Jesus and the way that he has shaped the world to work is ultimate reality. And the world offers a lesser one. And so we need to be reminded, we need to continually come back to the truth of the scriptures and, and see that, you know, here, like, like this design for marriage isn't to lead you to a lesser reality. It's, lead you, it's to lead you to a fuller one, that you would actually experience the joy of marriage when lived this way. And so Jesus tells us how it works best. Like trust him in that. Live it out. And perfectly as you may do it, live it out. What he says, and you will see something that's better than the world's lesser reality. Let's pick back up. In verse 22, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong that you have done. For God has no favorites. Um, I covered this back when we were in Ephesians, um, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time camped out here, but, but the word slaves there, uh, culturally speaking, is not what you and I, it's not what comes to your and I's mind, right? You and I, when we hear slave, we're, we're thinking colonial America, uh, the enslavement of African-American individuals, and that's not what this is talking about contextually. It's not someone who's in bondage or being mistreated or abused. This was someone who was working to pay off of a debt. Kind of like a, a nine to five, so to speak. Um, and, and that's why quickly you start seeing the words like, hey, when you work, don't do so for other people, but do it under the Lord. Like this is generally speaking about like a work, a job that one would have. And Paul says that your work should be a reflection of your relationship with Jesus. 
that the work that you do ought to reflect the relationship that you have with Jesus. And, and, and ultimately, it's because we've been called to even a greater work. Like, like whatever your job is, it might be amazing, and it might be impactful, and it might be of great service to our world. It is a lesser work than the work that God's called you into. And that work is, is soul winning. And I don't know if that phrase is relevant, but um, that we've been called to reach people for Jesus. The coworkers, the bosses, is there something about you and the, the life that you're living, the work that you're doing that, that would cause other people to say, hey, I, I want what you have. I, I don't know what it is, but there's just something about the way that you're living your life that, that I want. Like, like when the rest of the office is crushed by worry, are, are you that, 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 that worker, that person that, that's saying, hey, I'm, ultimately I'm trusting the Lord for my provision. Whatever comes of this office, whatever comes of this contract, whatever comes of these customers, the Lord's my provider. And I trust in him. And I trust in him. When the rest of the office is gossiping, do do you recall these powerful words that the tongue is sharp, that it's powerful, that it has the ability to give life and has the ability to tear it apart? And so the way we work is obviously part work ethic, but it's more than that. What kind of reputation do you carry with you amongst the people that you're around 40 hours a week, if not more? Within our work, we are, are we keeping our gaze on an eternal focus, on the things that are above, on, on something that this is more than just my job. This is something bigger. I've been called to a mission. And what if it was for us more about being the man or the woman who is ready to care for our coworker rather than throw him under the bus to advance ourselves? Like, like what if that was you in your workplace? And that's what the reputation that you carried was, hey, the, the, they care about that worker who, who's seemingly struggling, they just can't get in. Everyone's talking about it, but no, I'm coming alongside, like, hey, hey, is there something going on in your life? Is, is there something that I can come and assist you in? Is there a way that I can help, you know, you with your work? Um, rather than throw them under the bus, because ultimately, if you throw them under the bus, there's one, at least one other person below you, right? And you can continue to climb on the backs of people. I mean, that, that's kind of like the world uh, message in the workplace. Get yours, you know, climb over at all costs. Right? Make sure that you undoubtedly are, are advancing. Survival of the fittest. I don't know about you, but I choose Jesus. And that won't always be easy. It won't be easy to be able to do the right thing to serve and have your life wrung out for the good of God's glory amongst the people in the world. When you start seeing other people advancing that, that you think that should be me but I've chosen a, a different calling or a different path. And, and so do, you, do we see that where we live, where we work, where we play, like all of this, all the commands of Scripture the, of, of how we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to live, do, do we see that Jesus is sufficient in all these areas? When you come to a passage like the one we're in today, 
Um, you know, Paul's getting nearer and nearer to the end of his letter to the church at Colossae. I don't know about you, but this passage kind of seems like it came out of left field. Like it seems out of left field, right? right? Where he opens up and he says, hey, Jesus, he's all supreme and he's all sufficient and he was before all things and in him all things hold together. And and, then, you know, he has purchased the church by the blood of his testimony. I mean, all these scriptures that, that are telling you about how amazing Jesus is. And he's combating the culture and saying, hey, he is supreme. He isn't some lesser version of God. Like he is fully God. And he's sufficient for all of life. And, and so we, we, we hear this messaging and this beautiful demonstration and, 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 and picture of Jesus. And then he says, okay, so, so because, church, you know that, I'm telling you, get your minds on things that are above because the culture, the world around you isn't pointing you there, so I'm going to point you there. And so he gets their minds on things above. And then he says, hey, wives, husbands, this is how you're to marriage. Hey, this is how you're supposed to parent your kids or this is how you're supposed to work at your job. Like, is this a Quentin Tarantino movie? Like, is this just like a multiple scene kind of coming into play? Like, like this isn't adding up to what everything else has already been said. But when I think about this, when I think about the fact that, that he is now bringing it down, where he is taking this, the, the things that are above and he's bringing them into our everyday World, I think what he's trying to show you is the sufficiency of Jesus. Like, hey, hey, as we get nearer and nearer to the end, you know, of the book, I feel like what Paul is saying is bet. Like, you can put your whole life, you can go all chips in on Jesus, but I'm telling you, you have to experience it. You have to experience the joy of living in obedience to Jesus. I'm going to tell you that he will be sufficient in your marriage. He will be sufficient in the way you raise your kids. He will be sufficient in the world around you, in the the places where you work, in the places where you play. He will be sufficient. And and from every area, the culture is going to tell you that there is a different wisdom that you need to follow. No, no. What? Don't you know that your spouse exists for your happiness? You buy into that ideology, you're going to be ruined. You're going to be wrecked. If you don't see your marriage as a way of sacrificially displaying the love of Jesus to your spouse, you can find some joy in that. It'll be hard. It'll be really hard. But if you think that your spouse exists for your happiness, I'm telling you, you'll be crushed. If you go into the place where you work and all you view it as a corporate ladder, all you view it as is as a ladder to climb and a place to achieve and a place to get. And if you're going to try and find some validation and hope in that, you'll be sorely disappointed. You'll get there. You'll you'll get the position. You'll you'll get the new the new salary. You'll you'll be able to drive the new car. You'll be able to have the new things. And ultimately, realize that those things weren't sufficient to satisfy your soul. But if you saw your life is serving others the way Christ did. You'll find so much value in that. And so I think that's why exactly, precisely, this is where the passage fits in the book. Jesus is sufficient. He's not leading you to a lesser marriage. He's not leading you to a lesser relationship with your kids. And he's not leading you to a lesser career. 
He's leading you, according to the scriptures, to the fullness of all those things. And would you trust him? Trust him to be all satisfying. If you're here today and you just never have, you never have placed your faith and hope in Jesus, and and maybe for you, you've used the word, well, I'm a Christian, but don't think that has any relevance to your life to actually look like Jesus. I want to invite you to have your life shaped, conformed, and transformed to the image of Christ. The the scriptures would tell us that if we confess with our mouths, and and this is kind of where you get the idea of praying a prayer, there's no magical words to that, but it's a simple confession. It's a declaration that Jesus is Lord of my life. I'm a Christian and believe that God raised him from the dead, you would be saved. And so that believing that God raised him from the dead is a call of action to follow. It's a belief of the heart, not just of the mind, a belief of the heart that says, I'm gonna earnestly follow Jesus. I want my life to look like his, and I wanna experience the fullness of it. That's your invitation this morning. If you never have, I wanna invite you to the greatest all-satisfying relationship that you could ever have, and it informs all of life, but you will never find a greater deal than this because Jesus has offered it for you. For you. He died for you. He's done for you what you couldn't do. That's what Paul's already said in our letter. He's done for you what you couldn't. And that by, by calling on the name of the Lord and following him, you would have new life. Let me pray.